Welcome to the Blue Collar Scholar. I am your host, Will Wrights. I load freight with a forklift. I have been a bus driver and a substitute teacher, and I am a history graduate student. I am an ordained pastor, and I hope to become a history professor. In this podcast, we will explore history, theology, pop culture, current events, and perhaps a few other topics along the way. The Blue Collar Scholar is written, recorded, and edited by Will Wrights. The opening and closing music is Lo-Fi Summer Background by Vladislav Kurnikov from Pixabay. The purpose of this podcast is to educate. Use and distribution of this podcast can only be done by the express written permission of the content creator of this podcast. However, if you enjoyed this episode, I would appreciate it if you liked and subscribed to Blue Collar Scholar in Apple Podcasts or your preferred podcast distributor. Writing a review, leaving a five-star rating, and sharing links in your social media platform is also much appreciated. Thank you for joining us. Christ was walking the earth, he chose 12 of the men who followed him to be his disciples. And of those 12, uh, a group of three or four, it's really three, but I have a hard time imagining why Andrew was left out. But Occasionally. He... Yeah, occasionally he was. Uh, we'll get to that in a second, but uh, an inner circle was chosen as well. So we're going to look at those 12 but we're also going to dig into the other people who could possibly be called apostles based on the use of that term so all of the disciples except for Judas Iscariot get referred to as an apostle but disciple and apostle really are two different things the the disciple capital D disciple that's the 12 people who served as Jesus primary followers during his earthly ministry and that would include Judas. And then the word apostle comes from the Greek word for messenger or sent one. And so the apostles were people who were specifically commissioned by Christ to go out and start the church. And that's why Paul always gets the, the title of the apostle, even though he's not one of the twelve. In fact, Paul's nowhere around during the during the Gospels. He's not mentioned once during the during any of the four Gospels. But he gets called an apostle because Christ went out of his way after all of the resurrection appearances and after the ascension to go meet Paul on the road to Damascus. So Paul certainly is an apostle and we'll look at some other people's names who could also be called apostles. Alright, so Let's just dig right in. And some of these disciples we will say very little about because there's really not a whole lot to know. Uh, I've only got two slides today, so I will be switching back and forth between the the maps. This is a bigger map. And then here's a a map where we zero in. And I've got it big enough so you can see Jerusalem in the corner, Jerusalem and Bethlehem, so you get an idea. All the disciples come from around the Sea of Galilee or as it says on that map, the Sea of Tiberias. So the Lake Tiberias is named after the second, I believe Tiberius was the second Caesar after Augustus. If I'm not mistaken, I'm probably going to have to edit this on the podcast, but if I'm not mistaken, it's Augustus and then Tiberius and then Caligula and then Claudius and then Nero. And then after that, it I, I, I didn't memorize that many Roman emperors. And by the time you get to the end of Nero, I think you're at the end of the New Testament anyway. At that point, you'll start talking about the post-Bible period. Okay, so the most important of all the apostles, with the exception of Paul, is Peter. Peter, or in Greek, Petros, means the rock. It's a nickname. Uh, He was born Simon or Simeon. So we'll describe their origins together. Simon and Andrew are brothers. They come from the town of Bethsaida, or Bethsaida. I always like to pronounce both vowels. I don't know why. I used to get made fun of in seminary because I would always say omniscient instead of omniscient. I just, I like to, if there's a diphthong, I, I like to, to pronounce both if I can. That's one of the reasons why uh, 
among my favorite states is Hawaii because it's got the greatest diphthong. It's not Hawaii. It's Hawaii. To say it properly, you've got to put a pause there. Hawaii. So, I'm a nerd. Leave me alone. So the, um, you can see there's a, there's, a, there's a question mark after Bethsaida. Or Bethsaida. Uh, we're not entirely sure where it is, but that's probably the best guess is to right towards the, the top of the Sea of Galilee. One of the things about the Sea of Galilee is this side of the Sea of Galilee is more Greek. This is known as the Decapolis, or the Ten Cities. That's what Decapolis means. And those cities, uh, probably the one we would recognize most would be Gerasene or uh, Gadarene, which is where the, uh, de- the demoniac, the, the man who identified himself as Legion because we are many demons, uh, comes from uh, that right here. But there were ten cities. But the other side of the Sea of Galilee is a pretty solid Jewish area. And so most of the cities on this side you will have heard of. So Simon and Andrew are from Bethsaida. By the way, so are James and John and Philip. So almost half of the disciples come from Bethsaida. And a few of the disciples, we really honestly don't know where they come from. So maybe more than half, we don't know. Simon and Andrew were fishermen. They, uh, like I said, they came from Bethsaida. When they were called, actually I'll save the calling for Andrew because that, that, that gets the most interesting. So with Simon, Simon Peter, his calling has to do with a boat. We get two different stories which can both be true. One story, I believe it's the Gospel of Luke, says that as Jesus was walking along the, the lake and the people kind of crowded in so he had to get into a boat to, and row out a little bit so he could preach to the to people who were crowding along the coastline. And that boat was Peter's boat. And then another calling of Peter's story has it that as Jesus is walking along, there's no crowds, or not necessarily any crowds. Now that I think about it, that's the, that passage doesn't mention whether there are crowds or not. But as Jesus is walking along the Sea of Galilee, I'll, sometimes I call it a lake, sometimes I call it a sea. It's the same thing. As he's walking along the, the sea, he calls out to Simon and Andrew to come follow him, and they do. And then walks a little further and then calls James and John, and then they leave their father in the boat with the hired men, and then they follow him as well. Those can go together pretty easily. I imagine that the calling of each set of brothers came first and then maybe a few days later or as he's spending time around there also the event with the uh, where Jesus had to go out on the boat and that would explain why Jesus got into Peter's boat because they already know each other so and it would also explain why Peter was willing to do that what else do we know about Peter well Peter's one of only two humans to ever walk on water which is significant I always like that story because you could look at that story from two different perspectives. You could say that Simon Peter was uh, lacking faith because he, he, he looked down and saw the water and, oh, Lord, help me, and he, he failed at his task. Uh, but he's also only the second person that I know of in history that ever tried to walk on water. And he succeeded for a bit. So I think, that, I think it, all in all, a pretty good story. Peter is the most... Of all the disciples in the Gospels, he's the one that speaks the most. He's the one that's involved in the most stories. He is clearly the leader of that group. And by the time you get to Acts, he and James, and then later Paul, kind of become pillars of the church. With Peter as the leader of the apostles, James as the chief pastor, as the pastor of Jerusalem, and Paul kind of as the chief missionary, the one bringing the gospel north into Europe. And then while we're talking about it, John, I believe once those three die, then John takes a role of kind of all three of those positions. Because at a certain point, John becomes the only one remaining of all the apostles. Peter, let's see, what else should we say about him? The Catholic Church has him as the first pope. I've discussed this many times. I tend to see the Catholic Churches starting around the time of Constantine, seeing the first church which had no government connections until, and then once the government, the church has a connection with the state, the Roman state, then you have the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. Catholics will disagree with me, and they have every reason to keep their own records, so sure. 
Peter was the first pope. But if that's the case, interestingly enough, as the bishop of Rome, he didn't seem to spend a lot of time in Rome. He died there, which is probably a big reason why he gets that, I think, honorary title of, of first pope. Peter's famous for denying Christ three times. Uh, Jesus predicts it. Peter fulfills before the cock crows, or in the book of Mark, before the cock crows twice. He, he denies Christ three times. And then in the book of John, there's a poignant scene where post-resurrection, and they've just got done eating fish, and Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Three times. And three times he says, yes, Lord, you know I do. And there is some disagreement about whether that really is a reinstatement scene. I think it's a reinstatement scene. I think that's Peter being reinstated to his role as the leader of the disciples. That he he was humbled in a moment of weakness, but he, in a moment of strength, in a moment of his choosing, he chose to stay loyal to Christ. We know that Peter was married We know this from Matthew chapter 8, verses 14 through 17. And also, uh, Paul seems to refer to Peter being married in 1 Corinthians 9, 5. He said, can uh, can we not take a wife like Peter does? I mean, he's not demanding that right for himself. He he is single at this point in his life. But he seems to indicate that uh, when 1 Corinthians is written, Peter is married, which raises a lot of questions. I really would like to know more about this relationship. Could it have possibly been strained? Who knows? Because she doesn't really make, actually, as far as I can tell, she doesn't make any appearance. There's the story where Jesus goes to Peter's house and raises Peter's mother-in-law to health and Peter's mother or Peter's wife is almost certainly there, but she actually is not a character in the text. We're just assuming she's obviously there. But unfortunately, we know beyond what I just said, we know nothing about this woman, and that and that's sad. We should know more. I'm going to talk about how the apostles died and the ministries they did in and after the Book of Acts. So let's move on to Andrew. Andrew's claim to fame is that he is Peter's brother. That's really all we know, to be honest with you. All the stuff we know about Peter, some of you know uh, his hometown, his that he was a fisherman. All that's going to be the same as Simon Peter. Andrew does. If you read between the lines, though, you do notice one thing: in certain occasions where somebody wants to approach Christ but they're kind of afraid to, they go to Andrew. The Greeks went to Andrew in the, in the Book of John when they wanted to approach. Um, and there's another vignette that I'm forgetting where it was, but it was in one of the other Gospels where people went to Andrew in order to then approach Christ, which I think probably says a lot about his character. He was probably a very kind man and and somebody who could work at, to make connections. Andrew, and well actually Simon, James, and John kind of function as the inner core of the disciples, and I'm not entirely sure why Andrew was left out of that group. And as you said, at certain points it kind of feels like maybe Andrew wasn't left out of that group, but at other times it certainly seems like it's just three. Peter, James, and John. Alright, what about James and John? Well, they're the sons of a man named Zebedee. That's why they're almost always referred to as John, son of Zebedee, James, son of Zebedee in the Gospels. James is a fisherman from Bethsaida. He's part of that inner core, and he is the first disciple to die. We will get to that in time, but that's really the most significant thing about James. We don't really, it's strange because he's one of the inner core, but we don't really know much about him. For a, uh, Some people think that he wrote the book of James, which is extremely unlikely. It's unlikely that he would have... See, because I've told you guys my theories about Peter and John teaching themselves how to read over a long ministry... If James really died within just a year or two or three or four of the resurrection, then it's unlikely that this fisherman wrote a book, especially one so steeped in the style and language of the book of Proverbs. All right, what about John? Well, if Simon is the disciple we know the most about from the Gospels, John is number two, which is interesting because he doesn't technically appear in the book of John. He is referred to as the disciple whom Jesus loved, a, a kind of 
fake, modest, anonymous status. They, I believe he's the go- author of that gospel, and he doesn't want to just point out his presence in the story at every at every step. Well, Kostenberger says that, that maybe you were going to say exactly it. That's exactly what say it. Um, that he didn't want to when he said John, he didn't want people to think it was John the Baptist. So he he wrote that to separate himself from being considered John the Baptist. In fact, in the in early the chap- exactly in the early chapters of the book of John, John, I don't think ever refers to John as John the Baptist. It's always John, just John. Mm-hmm. Which I always wonder if you've never read the book of John before and you start reading the book of John, surely you've got to think that's the connection. But John the Baptist didn't write John. Uh, he wasn't around long enough to even see all of Jesus' ministry. Do you think John was the youngest? I do. But I think we really only know that from tradition. And partly because of how long he lived. He probably lived past 100, the the year 100. Mm. He probably lived into the second century. Probably briefly. Probably died the year 102, 103, somewhere in that range. Uh, But yes, I think he he was the youngest. Which... If we now tradition, I, I didn't know this until actually today, as I was looking it up. But a lot of people have Judas being almost as old as Jesus. I don't think we know enough about Judas to say that for a fact. I think a more likely assumption, and this is just assumption, is that Peter is the oldest of the disciples because he is the leader of that group. All of them follow Christ. They're not following Peter, but within that group, Peter functions as the leader. So if we do our math, and Jesus was born in the year 4 or 5 B.C., so Jesus is in his mid-30s, I think Peter is probably topping out at 23, 24, maybe 25, tops. And I think John might be somewhere in the range of maybe 13, probably pretty young. And so that, that's your age range. I think all the other disciples are going to fall in that, in that age range. All right, let's look at our fifth person from Bethsaida. Philip. We don't know much about Philip. He does appear in an interesting passage in the book of John, right before the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus asks Philip specifically, where, where can we, how can we feed these people? Which is an interesting question to ask because Jesus is going to ask that kind of question. Surely he would ask Peter because he's the leader, or Matthew or Judas because they handle money. Matthew knows how to handle money. That was his career as a tax collector. Judas was the one who handled money. But he asks Philip. It's because Philip was from that area. That's something we learn from the book of Luke. So we know from the book of Luke, around about where Philip is from, we know in the book of John that Jesus asks Philip, where, how are we going to feed these people? That's what the scholar Lisa McGrew calls the, an unintended coincidence in the New Testament. One of those things where if these writings were just made up like a hundred years later people were just making up that would be the kind of thing that wouldn't have that that's the kind of thing that wouldn't have been made up or if they did make it up they would have pointed it out like whoever was making up this detail would have been highlighting it but if you were just happened to be writing the truth that's one of those little unintended coincidences that would just slip slip through we don't know much about philip I am in a minority position where I believe the Philip in Acts is the disciple Philip. I am in the minority position. As far as I can tell, most people think that's the Philip, the deacon, who is mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, Stephen and Philip and, and five other men are called to be the first group of deacons. And the majority position is that that's the Philip, that that reaches out to the Ethiopian eunuch and therefore probably lays the groundwork for the Ethiopian Coptic church. Like I said, mine's a minority position, but I think we're talking about the apostle there. Because I kind of want it to be the apostle. Because there's, we were talking about 12 guys, and, and most of these 12 guys really don't play a part in Acts. I want to know more about these guys. And also, Philip's role there seems to be kind of at, you know bringing a, a new message the reason why scholars believe we're talking about the deacon is because that Philip in those stories clearly subordinates himself to the authority of John and Peter 
which is not necessarily something that he would do if he was a fellow disciple. But then again, John and Peter are in the inner core of the disciples, so it could go either way. All right, what about Bartholomew? Now we're starting to get into some of the names where uh, some of the disciples where the names are different in the in the different lists of the disciples. So, for instance, you have the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, the Gospel of John, Luke, and John, and, and the Acts of the Apostles. Each one of them have actually John doesn't have a list, but the others uh, John mentions most of these disciples, but the others have a list at some point of the of the disciples. Each one of those lists has Bartholomew, except John calls him Nathaniel. John refers to Bartholomew as Nathaniel, and we're not entirely sure why. And so it's it's best in that case to think of them as maybe as, as a two-named person, like Judas Iscariot or Thomas, who's also known as Didemus, uh, Simon Peter. Maybe one was a nickname, one was his real name, we're not sure. Uh, in fact, Bartholomew, with the B-A-R at the beginning of it, means son of Tholomew? <laughs> son of Ptolemy. Oh, that's right. It was son of Ptolemy. And so Nathaniel could have been his real name in Bartholomew, so his name would have been Nathaniel Bartholomew, Nathaniel, son of Ptolemy. But we do know that Bartholomew is from Cana, which is the same town where Jesus turns the water into wine. Then you have Thomas. Thomas has a bad rap in the New Testament because he doubts the resurrection, which, if in a moment of clarity, I think we could forgive him for that. They're like, no matter how many of my friends come to me and said, hey, we saw your grandpa, I'm going to say, no, you didn't. My grandpa's been dead for years. I don't care how many of my friends come tell me. And so Thomas won't believe until he sees the, the until he can put his hand and finger in the side and see the nails in his wrists. And when G- Thomas does see the evidence, he falls before his Savior and says, my Lord and my God. Both Thomas and Didemus mean the twin. So it's possible that Thomas had a twin, twin brother, twin sister, that we don't know nothing about, and it's also possible that he has another name. Some traditions have his name as Judas, which would mean three of the disciples are called Judas, which would help explain why Judas, the betrayer, is always called Judas Iscariot. His, his name, his town name, is always attached to his name. So Thomas's first name could possibly be Judas, and his, uh, in which his nickname, the twin, would be Thomas or Didemus. Next, we have Matthew. Matthew also is known by two names, Matthew or Levi. And Matthew, unfortunately, is not mentioned in the book of John. He has no, no place there. Matthew and John are the only two disciples to write Gospels, or at least their names are attached to two of the Gospels. Matthew was a tax collector, or in the good old King James English, a publican, not to be confused with a Republican. <laughs> Since he was a tax collector, we can assume that he was probably one of the lesser liked of the disciples. The You see some tensions in the Gospels, like there's one point where James and John and their mother come to Jesus and say, when you come into your kingdom, I want one of my sons to sit on your right and one of your sons to sit on the left. And the others... I'm sure Simon Peter, key among them, were not thrilled. So there was some tension in that group. I wouldn't be surprised if Matthew's career as a tax collector created some tension. Because every poor person throughout Galilee is going to believe that Matthew probably cheated them out of some money. And it's unfortunate because the the, the Roman authorities assumed if they appoint you as a tax collector, they assume you're going to cheat people out of your money. And so it's my understanding they didn't give them any salaries. You were granted the role of a tax collector and then you made your own salary. So if, if I would go to your house and you owed three talents, I would say, oh, that'll be four talents. And then you know, I would just, I would put my I would skim right off the top and I would make sure Rome got the money you owed, but then I would keep part of it. And Rome just assumes that's how you would do your job. So if Matthew and Zacchaeus don't do that, they don't get paid. And so it's really tricky where you have to you have to cheat, but you've got to cheat fairly. 
it's so you've got a feel for for Matthew. It, it, it probably was a rough life, and of course everybody assumes you cheat, so nobody likes you. And then yet Jesus chooses him to be one of the disciples. Then you have James, son of Alphaeus, also known in some translations as James the Lesser or James the Less. What do we know about James? That's it. Next, Thaddeus. <laughs> also, say what? Just his name. Yep, he's James the Lesser. We Next we have Thaddeus or Lebaeus. I don't know, is that a King James uh, rendering of his name? L-E-B-B-A-E-U-S. Thaddeus, Lebaeus, and sometimes is called Judas the Zealot. So, I hadn't thought about it. Maybe four Judases. Which, Judas was a pretty common name. For that matter, so was Jesus, because Jesus' name was Joshua, Yeshua. Fairly common name. John was a common name. James was a common name. Although, you remember the video, it's not James, it's Jacob, Yaakov. But that, that was a common name. Judas, uh, Judas was a common name as well, because Judas is the Aramaic rendering of Judah. Judah was not only one of the twelve sons of Israel, but Judah was the name of the kingdom, the, the southern kingdom with Jerusalem in it. In fact, this is probably the person in the book of John that's called Judas, not Iscariot, where they say Judah, they say the name Judas, and then slap on, but we're not talking about that guy. That's really all we know about, oh, we know he's the son of James from the book of Acts. Once again, James, Jacob's real common name, certainly doesn't mean that he's sons of one of the other Jameses we've already mentioned. He's the son of some other guy named James. All right, and then one of the, I find the most interesting, I really would like to know more about, is the guy by the name of Simon the Zealot. Now, it's clear that he gets the, a lot of times when you see these things added on to the name, it's to separate them apart. John the Baptist, Mary Magdalene, Judas Iscariot. The gospel writers throw on something else, James the Lesser. They always throw something else on to help us differentiate. So the reason why we know that Simon is a zealot is because we didn't want to get him confused with Simon Peter. So the gospel writers decided to call him Simon the Zealot, which is just fascinating because the political world that Jesus ministered in, there were certain factions and among those factions was one known as the Zealots. The Zealots were similar to maybe like the Knights Templar in the Middle Ages, where they saw themselves as a religious order, but they saw themselves as a military religious order, and that they were going to be used by God to overthrow the evil Romans. And so they were the militarists. They were the ones... The word zealot, that's how the word zealot passes on into English. That's the way we think of a zealot, as somebody who is perhaps violently, militantly behind something. You're very zealous about this or that. So I'd really like to know more about this guy. Was he really part of that sect? What made him decide to follow Christ, who, as far as we can tell, did, did not support the zealot's political or religious agenda? Very fascinating. Some translations have him not as Simon the Zealot, but Simon the Cananean, perhaps Simon the Canaanite, which then is yet another level of fascinating, because does that mean that he maybe wasn't Jewish? Or that maybe he was part Jewish? Was he Samaritan? Was he related to the Samaritans? Was There's all kinds of opportunities. Uh, or it could just mean he was from the town of Cana, you know, the, the water-to-wine town. So there's... We know very little about him, but we got lots of question marks about this guy. And then finally, you have Judas Iscariot. What does Iscariot mean? Well, it means from Kerioth. So Judas from Kerioth, which is a town in Israel. Let's see if it's on our map. Nope. But I know where it is. It's right about here. A little bit, for, uh, uh, not quite on the Sea of Galilee, but in the same area. It's kind of up here. In, in the hills. See, see the, these, these are supposed to be hills next to the sea. So he is Judas from Kiriath, which the other person in the Bible that we know, almost always know by their place name, is Mary Magdalene from Magdala. 
And so you can see Magdala's, uh, uh, Mary Magdalene is right near Capernaum, or Magdala is right near Capernaum, and Capernaum is Jesus' quote-unquote hometown. When, in the Gospels, the few times where a hometown is mentioned, we're, we could be talking about Nazareth, his childhood hometown, but his the best way of thinking about it is his base of operations, kind of where he, you know, as he does his traveling ministry, where would you go to relax? Where would you go to regroup? Where would you go to eat a meal? That kind of thing. It would be Capernaum or Capernaum. But I, like I said, I, I like my... I like to pronounce all my vowels if I can, so Capernaum. Capernaum, that's how I've heard some people. I have heard that as well. Kind of, I kind of rush the U. Yeah, anyway. All right, so before we talk about how the apostles died, let's look at some other people who could be apostles. One, Paul, clearly. Remember what I said about apostles. In order to be an apostle, you had to be called directly by a, the living Jesus Christ. Some um, denominations, some groups do not agree with that definition. Catholics and charismatic groups still use the term apostle. Most other Protestant groups, I'm not sure how what the Eastern Orthodox does with the word, but most Protestant groups are a little more careful with the term apostle and really want it to be used for about 15 to 20 men in the first century. Besides Paul, who's clearly an apostle, here are some other people who could possibly be called apostles. First, you've got Barnabas in Acts 14.14. But when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, that sounds pretty clear. When the apostles, uh, but when the apostles, Barnabas and Paul, heard it, they tore their robes and rushed out, etc., etc., etc. So at least Luke, at least in one verse, refers to Barnabas as an apostle, along with Paul. I think we can call Barnabas an apostle. He is old enough to have been around. It is possible, likely even, that he would have been amongst the 70 disciples who were called at times to do work, and at other times he wasn't part of the, the 12. Uh, we don't know that for sure, by the way. If, if that is the case, Barnabas would have got had quite a trip because uh, I don't think either of my maps is big enough to show it, but Barnabas would have been from about here. And so he would have had quite a trip to get down to Galilee. If he did, if he did follow Christ, it probably was only you know on one occasion or or, or he, as much time as he could spare. But that probably wouldn't have been much. Next, you have a person called. Oh, actually, I forgot one, didn't I? Yes, I absolutely did. Another person we know as a disciple is Matthias, because in Acts chapter one, Matthias is chosen. Simon Peter stands up in the, in, with the 11 disciples and says, we really should complete this out to 12 again. He doesn't say this in the book of Acts, but probably in the back of their mind is we are the new 12 tribes. You know, Just like Israel had 12 sons, we need to be 12 as well. Jesus called us to be 12, let's be 12. So they picked two names of people who had been following Jesus through most of his ministry, and so certainly two guys who would have been in that 70 and so the two nominations, one was Matthias, and he ended up being chosen, and the other was a guy by the name of Joseph Barsabbas called Justice. Three names. Joseph Barsabbas, also called Justice. And so in Acts one twenty three, he is mentioned. He's never called an apostle in Scripture. For that matter, I'm not sure Matthias has ever called an apostle. But since both of them were eligible to fill that twelfth role, I think both of them are apostles. Next, you have the brothers of Jesus. James, Jude, Simeon, and Joses. I think the case for James is very strong. In fact, I almost always refer to James as an apostle. Some scholars would disagree with me on that one. They think the apostles really should just be the twelve plus Paul and maybe Barnabas. But James fills every, every quota. He was called by Christ. He was from the family. He ends up being the chief of all pastors and if James is an apostle then perhaps uh, the early church would have also considered Jude, especially since Jude wrote a short book but he wrote a book that was considered scripture uh, and Simeon and Joseph as well and when we get to how the apostles die we'll see that church tradition teaches that all four of those men do go on to be leaders in the early church then there's a, 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 some 
possibilities that are a little less... I'm not sure I buy these arguments. The first is in Romans 16, 7. Greet Andronicus and... I, I never know whether you should pronounce the J here or not, so either Hunius or Junius, my kinsman and my fellow prisoners who are outstanding among the apostles who also were in Christ before me. So first thing we need to deal with is the fact that the New American Standard has made a choice to uh, render that name male. Most early manuscripts actually say Junia, that that's a female name. I think it's likely based on the sentence structure that we're talking about a husband and wife here, Andronicus and Junia, a husband and wife pair. So the way the sentence is structured, it could be that they are outstanding, like they're in the apostles and they're an outstanding pair in that group. Or it could mean that the the group of apostles consider these two to be outstanding. I lean towards the second one for two reasons. First of all, if we're saying that Andronicus and Junia are outstanding amongst the apostles and they're in that group, wouldn't it be the opposite? Wouldn't we be considering them to be at the bottom of the pile after Simon Peter and Paul and James and James and John? I mean, seriously, these two people we only know about because they're mentioned in passing in the book of Romans, they wouldn't be outstanding among the apostles, meaning they were apostles and they're outstanding in that group. But rather, I think it's much more likely to say the apostles agree. These two people are rock stars. We consider them to be outstanding. I think that's a better argument. Uh, And then the second reason is because I think that's a female name, Junia, and I think we need to not underestimate the patriarchalism even amongst Christians in the first century. So I don't think that Junia would have been considered an apostle by the first church, whether she should have or not. Next you have Silas and Timothy. We won't turn there, but in 1 Thessalonians... Uh, verse actually, why we could turn there? Okay, First Thessalonians two six. Let's back up so we have context. For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is my witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. And the reason why this is, the authors of this text. So we, we as apostles, are Paul, Silas, and Timothy. So the indication there seems to be that all three of them can be considered apostles. I think Paul's just using his speech a little freely there. That he he knows he's an apostle, and he knows Silas and Timothy are teammates of his. So he was just using his language freely. If in fact Silas and Timothy would have been considered apostles, they probably you probably would have heard that referred to again. But then again, Barnabas seems to only have been referred to as an apostle once, so who knows? And then finally, you have Apollos, who is my candidate for the author of Hebrews, but I don't know that for sure. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 9, For I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all. Oh, yeah, I do need to back up. Yeah, this is probably one of them where I should have just summarized This is in in that whole passage where Paul is saying, I hear what you guys are saying. You're saying, I follow Christ, and I follow Peter, and I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos. And then he says, don't do that. We're all, did Paul die for your sins? Did Peter die for your sins? Come on. And so Paul's making an argument that we really shouldn't split up over which celebrity pastor you like more. Uh, And then once you get to verse, what did I say, verse 9? Then, uh, for I think God has exhibited us apostles last of all. So the idea would be that Apollos would be in that same group as an apostle with Peter and Paul. Which, I, mean, it, I understand the argument, but I don't, I don't think it's hardly possible at all that Apollos received a calling from Christ 20 years probably before he even became a Christian. I don't think that's likely. So anyway, if you add up all these numbers, you get to 24, which is interesting. So you have the 12 disciples plus Matthias, plus Paul, Barnabas, uh, Joseph, Bar, Sabbath, called Justice, James, Jude, Simeon, Joseph, Andronicus, Junius, Silas, uh, Timothy, and Apollos 
you end up with 24, which is interesting because in the book of Revelation, this is a weak connection, by the way. Don't even bother writing this down. But in the book of Revelation, it refers to 24 elders seated around the throne. I think it's a better understanding of that is the 12 apostles plus the 12 patriarchs. That's much more better understanding. I just find it interesting that 24 people in the New Testament could possibly be apostles based on the way certain passages are written. All right. How did the apostles die? Most of what I'm about to tell you is based on tradition. The only uh, disciples we know how they died are James and Judas. The Everything else is based on church tradition. So how did the apostles die? Well, let's start with Peter and Paul, because their death stories are similar. And also, because I don't really need to talk too much about their ministries, most of you guys know the Peter and Paul stories of ministry. Peter's ministry, for the most part, you can see in the book of Acts. And then once Paul's life, once Paul's story starts taking over in Acts, then Peter becomes a little bit of a question mark. But we assume that he ministers mostly in Jewish areas around Jerusalem, and then eventually probably gets on a boat and goes and spends a significant amount of time in Rome where he is eventually killed. Now, church tradition says that he was crucified, which is very believable. That is a way that Romans like to kill non-citizens in a way to humiliate them and to punish them. Church tradition goes on further to say that he said, please do not uh, crucify me uh, for I'm not worthy to die the same way as my Savior. And so they said, okay, we'll crucify you upside down. So the tradition is that he was crucified upside down. That's unlikely for two reasons. One is the soldiers would have no reason to honor the request of a condemned criminal. If anything, if you're a condemned criminal and they're about to execute you, they would have more reason not to do something if you asked for it. So not only would the Roman soldiers have no reason to honor Peter's request on how to die, but I'm not entirely sure crucifixion works quite the same way upside down. Because the reason crucifixion works so well is, we've been through this before, but you, 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 get, you have a nail through your wrists and through your ankles, and you fluctuate between hanging by all your weight off of these off the nails in your wrist and your lung capacity becomes much less that way and so in order to draw breath you have to push up with your with the nail going through your ankles and it's just a torturous way of dying and eventually you just your lungs fill up with fluid and you basically drown while you're hanging there. If you're upside down it really wouldn't work that way the gravity would help you not drown and more likely if you were crucified upside down unless you were beat very badly before the crucifixion and therefore died of shock and bleeding, it, there's no telling how long it could take to, for you to die. I mean, you'll still die. You've got nails through your wrist and you're, you're, you're still bleeding. And, and if you don't eat and you don't uh, drink water, I mean, he w- it would still work. But goodness, it could take a week for a person to die crucified upside down. So I think it's more likely he was crucified the normal way. I've heard that you know, what Christ didn't really carry a cross, he carried a bar, and they nailed him to the bar and then hoisted him up to the cross. I believe that's true, but I don't know that for a fact. I know that the the image of the cross with the with the top bar, that's mostly that top part's mostly an unnecessary. I mean, if you're actually making crosses, why would you need that top part? So it's more likely that crosses were T's. I think. Probably the reason the, the lowercase t became more popular is so that you have a place to nail the announcement that Pilate put on the cross that said, here is Jesus, King of the Jews. But yet, I've heard, I've heard that said, and I think it's true, but I don't know that for a fact. So Peter dies during Nero's persecutions around the year 66 AD. Paul dies during the same persecutions, but since he's a Roman citizen, he gets the honor of having his head taken off instead of crucifixion. And this goes without saying, both of those and every death we talk about from here on out is based on church tradition, with the exception of James. We'll get to that. And Judas. But we'll get to that. Next, Andrew. Now, 
this is interesting. It's another one of those crucified in a weird way kind of things. Church tradition says he was crucified in Greece after having worked, uh, having done ministry amongst the Scythians. The Scythians were a people group as far north as Ukraine or perhaps even Russia. So if that's true, Andrew would have taken the gospel quite a ways north. At some point after that, he finds himself in Greece where he gets crucified as a martyr. And this time, he gets crucified on an X. Like they built an an X and crucified him on it. That's more believable because you would have the thing, but why would... Why would the why would they bother making a special? Because you would have to dig two holes to put the cross in. I, I think it's more likely he was crucified the normal way. James, this is the confirmed death in Acts chapter twelve, verse two. He is put to the sword by Herod Agrippa the first. Now, when we say Herod Agrippa the first, the book of Acts only calls him Herod. But we need to be careful because there's. Three, I think Herod Agrippa II actually is called Agrippa at the end of the book of Acts. But there's three people that are called just Herod in the Bible, and they're all three different people. you got Herod the Great. He's the one that tries to kill Jesus when he's a baby. Then you've got Herod Antipas, who is the Herod who puts Jesus on trial. And then you've got Herod Agrippa I. And Herod Agrippa I is Herod the Great's grandson. But these are Romans, right? They are half. They're a half Jewish family, and they are connected to the Roman political structure. It always confuses me. Yeah, the, the, the Herod, the Herodian dynasty, was not. They did not descend from the line of David. That was a. They were a different group. They were a. Their father, Herod the Great's father, and I didn't put it in my notes, so I'm not remembering it right now. But it was a really cool, interesting name. You could go look it up later if you want to. He was friends with Julius Caesar, supposedly, and used his connections to gain the governorship for Herod. And since Herod was Jewish, the Romans gave him the conceit that he he could be called king, that he could be the king over Judea, even though he really wasn't king. He was really the position he held was governor. That he he was ruling at the behest of the Caesar, of Caesar Augustus and later Tiberius, although Herod the Great doesn't live long enough to serve anybody other than Augustus. But the Herod Antipas and Herod Agrippa and Herod Agrippa II, they would be they would serve other Caesars in the same role. And then by the time you get to Herod Agrippa II's son, I think that's the last of the Herodians. It might have actually been Herod Agrippa II himself, but the Herodian line doesn't outlast Acts very much. It's a very short-lived dynasty. And basically, the right on the cusp of the Jewish-Roman War in the late 60s, and then the destruction of Jerusalem in, in the year 70. By the time you get to there, the Romans are no longer interested in having Jews in authority. And the Herodian line loses any chance of, of, have, of keeping that uh, authority. Okay, so James in Acts chapter 12 was put to the sword by Herod Agrippa I. James' brother John is the opposite. James is the first disciple to die. John is the last disciple to die. In fact, he was not martyred. Once again, this is just church tradition. But John died in the city of Ephesus as an old man, as a bishop over Ephesus. Although legend does say that at one point the Romans tried to boil him to death in hot oil and it didn't work either they they botched it or John was miraculously saved and I've also seen in the Bible mini series um, I forgot who did that was that a history channel that did that that was about 10 years ago now but the Bible mini series on TV is it NBC history channel something like that they showed that he that they they basically waterboarded him in and left him for dead, and then he, he spit it up. So I'm wondering if if maybe there's a, also a drowning or a waterboarding tr- a tradition that I don't know of, because that Bible miniseries was pretty pretty faithful to the to the material. I, I don't I, I find it unlikely they would have just invented a detail like that. So 
let's just put it this way. Church tradition says that he was almost martyred and that he died an old man and the last of the apostles to live. Thomas is the most interesting. The tradition has him going to the east. He goes through uh, Persia, modern-day Iran, and the, the Babylonian. So, well, it would have been Babylonia first, but he would have went through Babylonia, the, the valley of Iraq. He goes through Persia, and he goes as far as India, and he meets a Brahmin priest in India and supposedly converts a Brahmin priest, of all people, to Christianity. An ancient, ancient Christian church that well predates the British occupation of India is in India. It's very small. So there might be some truth to the legend that Thomas went to India where he was speared with four spears. And so in our the church, Erie Federated, you'll see the 12 symbols up in the stained glass and, and Thomas is a spear. Philip, and I said this before, the Philip in Acts could be either the apostle or the deacon. But what church tradition says of the apostle is that he ministered in Carthage. I really should have a map for this, but if you imagine where Italy is, and if you go directly south from there into Africa on the coast, there was a city called Carthage. About 150 years before Christ, the and actually the first Punic War was even earlier than that, I think maybe 300 years before Christ, there were two major wars between Rome and Carthage called the Punic Wars. Uh, you've probably heard about that, where Hannibal tries to march elephants across the Alps to attack Rome. By He goes over across North Africa, crosses over into Spain, and then tries to cross the Alps with elephants, and it doesn't work out well for him. That was in part of the Punic Wars, and Hannibal was a Carthaginian. That's apparently, according to tradition, where Philip went to minister, which is another reason why I think that it's possible that we're talking about Philip the Apostle in the book of Acts, because both of those events happen in Africa. The tradition has him executed in Asia Minor, so he ministers in Carthage, but at a certain point he goes to Turkey. He is executed, officially executed, because he converted a Roman official's wife to Christianity. And that was his punishment. He was executed. Matthew, or Matthew Levi, ministered in Persia or possibly Ethiopia. Tradition has him in both places. It's very unlikely. If you've got the map in your mind, well, we've got a map here. But you're not going to see either of these places, but I'll point to. So here's Israel. Ethiopia is here. And Persia is here. So it's unlikely that Matthew went to both. Chances are he went to one or the other. So, tradition has him stabbed to death in Ethiopia. Bartholomew, there's actually, I I had a hard time tracking down any one tradition saying where he ministered or where he died. The one I'm going to give you is the one from the symbols in in the Erie Federated Church. Uh, Bartholomew's symbol is a filleting knife because one of the traditions has him skinned alive in Armenia. (laughs) James the Lesser, with James the Lesser and Simon the Zealot, I actually had a hard time finding a lot of traditions. About the best one I could find for James the Lesser was that he was stoned in Syria, just north of Israel. And with Simon the Zealot, the tradition I see most is that he was executed in Persia because they required him to worship the sun god, and he wouldn't do it. And then the sad case of Judas Iscariot. He committed suicide. And he never became an apostle. He was a disciple, but he never earned that apostle title. Matthew chapter 27, verses 5 through 8. So Judas threw the money into the temple and left. Then he went away and hanged himself. The chief priests picked up the coins and said, It is against the law to put this into the treasury since it is blood money. Ironically, their blood money. Mm-hmm. It's their blood money, but it's against the law to put it in their treasury. It's hypocrisy. The author of At Matthew knows what he's doing. The, the, the hypocrisy is laid out for all to see. So they decided to use the money to buy the potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. That's why it has been called the field of blood to this day. That's Matthew 27, 5-8. 
Acts gives us a different story. Acts 1, 18-19. With the reward he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. There he fell headlong, his body burst open, and all his intestines spilled out. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, the field of blood. Those are really different stories. So here's a possible synthesis of the two. One, he he hung himself. And nobody bothered to take him down. And his body began to decompose. In the meantime, the priests did buy the field. The priests were the ones that actually bought the field. But since it was Judas's money, and the priests were very clear that this is not our money, it's blood money, we can't have it, then in one way, from one point of view, it would have been Judas buying the field. Just like if I got a financial advisor to buy me some Facebook stock, uh, it, w- it wouldn't be me physically doing it. He would be doing it for me. So the priests, on Judas' behalf, bought the field. Now, as far as the nickname goes, I think it's possible that one of the origin stories is true and the other is a kind of a, a legend. But it's also possible that there were two, that, that both of them were true, that people just started sharing it. And then, well, let me illustrate it. Have you heard the word redneck? The term redneck is associated with Scottish bandits in the 1640s who they were, not, excuse me, not bandits, Presbyterians. I don't know why I said it that way. Let me start again. <laughs> well, I think, I think the reason I was thinking that was because the, the Church of England considered them outlaws, and, and that's where the term comes from, redneck. It's a pejorative. So, the term redneck is associated with Scottish Presbyterians in the 1640s who supposedly wore a red bandana as kind of a symbol of their being Presbyterian, not being part of the Church of England. Appalachia, the mountains in North America, were filled by Scottish people, among others. Of the Scottish people who came to America, they tended to gravitate towards the hills because hills, Scotland. That would have been what they were used to. And the nickname apparently carried over for redneck at the time. However, if you were to go out and uh, if you were to go out to Pete's and ask somebody who you know calls themselves a redneck, hey, where do you think the word redneck comes from? They're probably going to mention farmer's tans. Mm-hmm. Now, does that make them wrong? No, I'm sure most people mean redneck by farmer's tans. That's what they're talking about. You got the redneck, and you pull the shirt down. It's so white you can't even look directly at it. That's that's the redneck joke. So in that case, it's dual origin. That that it seems like two origins are true. So it is possible that it's possible that it was called Field of Blood because it was blood money. That that the blood money that Judas received to turn over Jesus got the nickname Field of Blood. And at the same time, if he really did burst open there, then I could also see why people would refer to it as Field of Blood. Kind of a dual origin is possible when it comes to nicknames. Right, moving past the twelve. Matthias, tradition says that he was burnt alive in Syria. Joseph Barsabbas, called Justice, has him becoming a bishop in a small village southwest of Jerusalem. And I think this is it. Herodium? But don't write that down. I'm not sure. But I know, I forgot to write down the village, but it really tiny village southwest of Jerusalem. And he served as a sub-bishop below James. So he would answer to James, but he was basically a senior pastor uh, in this small town. He was martyred in the year 68, and that timing is is possibly... If it's, if it's true, then he might have died in the Jewish-Roman War. Because that's about the time that Rome and the Jews started uh, fighting each other, resulting in the destruction of the temple in the year 70. We will mention this person again in a few, in just a few seconds. What about Barnabas? Barnabas has him actually dying quite early in the year 60 A.D. If this is the case, then Paul would have known about his death 
even before the book of Acts is over with, which is one of those where why didn't Acts mention it? I really wish Luke would have mentioned it. But tradition has him stoned to death on this island of Cyprus in the year 60. James the Just is James the brother of, of Jesus, the author of the book of James. Now his tradition is very specific. The temple authorities during a time when there was less Roman oversight, probably the year 62, which, if I understand it correctly, is a time during a transition between between Roman governors. And so there was less Roman oversight. The Jewish authorities had a little bit freer hand, and they decide to take care of James by throwing him from the top of the temple. And then when that didn't quite kill him, they stoned him. And so that's quite an interesting and pretty specific tradition. Some traditions have him dying in the year 69. The reason I don't uh, agree with 69 is because that would have been right in the middle of that Roman-Jewish war. And if that's the case, there would never have been a moment of low Roman oversight. The Rome would have had their thumb squarely on Jerusalem. Simeon, the brother of Jesus, was crucified in Jerusalem in the 110s. So he, he lived a good long life. Jude is said to have been murdered with an axe in Lebanon. Joses, the fourth brother of Jesus, we actually know very little about this person. There is a possible association with Joseph Barsabbas called Justice because the name would be the name would be the same. Joses and Joseph are the same name. There are some reasons to believe this. I'm not so sure. I, I, I don't I'm not so sure either way. I, I don't really have an opinion. What I do find weird is that if this is the person, if Joseph Barsabbas, called Justice, is the physical brother of Jesus, surely that would have come up in Acts chapter 1. Actually, I do have an opinion, because I, 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 I remember this. James and his brothers, they don't follow Jesus. They're, not, they're skeptics of Jesus until the resurrection. And the resurrected, with Jesus as a, as a resurrected person appearing to his brothers, or at least to James, uh, convinces him. And James' life completely changes. And so apparently does Jude's life, because he writes the book of Jude. And church tradition tells us that Simeon and Joseph as well. If that's the case, then Joseph would have only been a Christian for days, maybe a few weeks, when the selection process for the twelfth disciple would have gone down. So now that I think about it, no, I don't think we're talking about the same person. But there's a lot of a lot of speculation that that is the same person. What about Andronicus and Junia? Well, unfortunately, those characters are too obscure. We don't really know much about them, not even through tradition. The Eastern Orthodox Church venerates Andronicus as one of the 70 disciples of, of Jesus. I find that unlikely just because of his age. Andronicus would have been like four when Jesus was still around. And like I said, most scholar, or there's not even any disagreement, there's not even general agreement on whether Junia or Junius, what that person's gender was. So unfortunately, there's just not a lot of information. What about Timothy? Timothy was stoned after trying to stop a procession, like a, like a parade, of the goddess Artemis, also known as Diana, in the streets of Ephesus. If you remember from the book of Acts, the people of Ephesus chanted, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And they did that for hours. And so what the procession would be, you would have the idol, and then the people who were priests, priest or priestesses of the the god would march around and then the people would follow and they would probably all chant that same thing, Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It was probably kind of like Touchdown Kansas City, Mm -hmm. which is something you hear and say. And and supposedly the reason, the, the way he tried to stop the procession was by street preaching, by preaching the gospel in the street and the crowd uh, killed him. Once again, like I said, all of this is tradition, with the exception of 
Judas and James where we have their death stories in Scripture. Silas is generally considered to have been martyred, but there's too many traditions to pick one. Some say in Rome, some say in Corinth, some say in Macedonia. And then with Silas, the, his date of death comes anywhere between the year 60 and 100. So just think about it in, in our lives, how much the, our world changed between 1960 and the year 2000. So in that whole 40-year range, Silas could have died anywhere and in any time in that, that time frame. So church tradition really doesn't tell us how Silas died. And then finally, Apollos. Once again, there's no definitive tradition. The one that kind of rises to the surface is that he became a church leader in Corinth. And actually, Paul sends him to Corinth. This is what the tradition says. Paul sends him to Corinth, but Corinth is so messed up that he says, I'm done. I'm retired. I'm done with this. And then the bishop of Rome, Clement, writes that either Paul or Peter or somebody intervened and then the church repented and then he came back and became a leader for the rest of his life for, for several decades. And that he was martyred by being thrown off a building, which may have been a copy-paste of the story of James' death. And that is everything I have to say about all of the apostles. Do you guys have any questions? There is actually one more apostle we need to talk about, and that's Paul. And we're going to save all of Tuesday to talk about the Apostle Paul. We hope you have enjoyed this production of the Blue Collar Scholar. I am your host, Will Wrights. Any factual errors made in the preparation or recording of this podcast are unintentional, and your feedback is welcome. You may contact me at thewillwrites at gmail.com. That's T-H-E-W-I-L-L-R-E-I-T-Z at gmail.com. The Blue Collar Scholar is written, recorded, and edited by Will Wrights. The purpose of this podcast is to educate. Use and distribution of this podcast can only be done by the express written permission of the content creator of this podcast. We hope you have enjoyed this episode, and we hope you will be back to download more. And thank you.